Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to episode 33 of the Lifestyle Chase. Joined by Brandon today. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm great. So tell me about your day. How how did you wake up today? What did you do first thing? What time did you wake up at? Uh, we're usually up. I can't really seem to set an alarm at like an even number. So it's usually like 7.01, 7.33. So I think today was like 7.01 and then a 7.33 morning. Yeah. Uh, I usually get up. Uh, take the dog out. We've got a 12-year-old dog named Nixon, and uh, so usually take care of her needs first. Then we definitely have some coffee. Heather and I try and have coffee uh, before, like just like some connection time in the morning before we do anything else, because it becomes really easy to just get up and try to get out the door. We try to enjoy some some alone time first. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then it's I usually get breakfast and the lunches together, and since it's pretty pretty early in the day, like here we are at work. But yeah, that's about the morning. Awesome, yeah. awesome. How about the rest of your day? How does your day kind of play out? Uh, I wouldn't, I would say, as many people know, like business ownership is never very linear, so it'll vary day to day. Lots of it is um, connecting with the community via emails and that sort of stuff. We always come in and check on our staff and our contractors, like the majority of the team members that we run into. That's the main priority since we are in a business of people so I would say it it definitely it definitely varies which makes it pretty exciting so yeah awesome yeah so take me to let's let's take yourself back to like grade six grade six okay grade six what did you want to be when you grew up well I actually had a very clear vision of what I wanted to be maybe not in grade six but by by grade nine I wanted to be a phys ed and health teacher yeah so that's what I did I went to uh, Grand McEwen and played some volleyball there and transferred to U of A and got my phys ed and ed degrees and I taught in the education system for a few years like exactly what I thought I wanted to do like coach and and teach kids and I did that for a whole four years. What was the toughest part of both being like a coach or a mentor to kids? Uh, I think the toughest thing was the emotions and the individual personalities so I actually did some studies under a man named Bruce Brown and uh, I changed my coaching from kind of the way I was coached which was very negative reinforcement based to positive reinforcement based which I found had a really profound effect on the teams that I coached like once I got a little bit of additional coaching myself. Nice. Yeah. So what do you think inspired you to have such a clear vision that you would have it from grade nine all the way till like high school, like all the way through and actually carry it, carry it out, follow through with it? Uh, I think I have a lot of resilience and, and drive. And if there's something that I set my mind to, I'd like to think that I can actually achieve it. And I think at the time, the most inspiring people in my life were number one, like my dad, who's always been a business owner. Uh, he was my number one inspiration, but I was very heavily influenced by the younger coaches and the younger teachers that were in my life. And I, you know, at the time, like I wanted to be like them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me more about like your dad, like your parents, like what kind of an influence did they have on you? Oh man, my, my I don't know. I think lots of people says like my parents are the best. They've always been extraordinarily supportive. Like I'm very close with them. They actually live just around the corner from Heather and I, and so. I don't know. 
I even remember in my grade nine yearbook, you know, the, the questions that you get, and one of them is like, who is your idol? And like, I wrote down my dad, and like, I kind of always have since. And so I've always had my parents on this really high pedestal, and I, I still do to this day. They've been married for 41 years, and my dad turned 70 this year, so we're going to take them to Mexico, so... That's yeah. amazing. That's pretty cool to be able to take like your parents to Mexico. Yeah, we're pretty fortunate. We've saved up quite a bit, and it's yeah, it's going to be really, really great. I think so. It's coming up in June. What are you going to do when you're in Mexico? Hopefully, as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you like when you travel? Are you like a resort person, or do you like to like create your own adventure? Well, previously, I was very much into the into the adventure. Yeah. You know, when I was doing some other professions more full-time, like when I was trying to teach more full-time and when I had my massage practice, I was really trying to look for adventure, you know, outside. And I think now that we are in, like, business ownership and directing and, you know, leading and coaching a lot more people, I definitely resonate more with the go somewhere, be taken care of so there's no cooking or cleaning, which I didn't actually think that I would like, but when we were just in Mexico uh, right after Heather's acupuncture exams, like, it was nice to just sit around and do not much. Yeah. We're still very much routine. Like, it was get up, go to the gym, have coffee, have breakfast, go to the pool. We did that for seven straight days, and, like, I would do it for another week if I could. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Makes sense, especially after, like, I can only imagine the stress that goes into, like, creating a business that's kind of new and, like, unique and, like, there's not too many others to replicate, so you're always kind of on your toes, like, trial and error, stuff like that. I would 100% agree with that. The, the first year of business, as we, you know, sit down and check in with all of our team members, the, you know, the bigger thing that we're seeing is, like, we learned a lot in the first year. We learned a lot. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. What's been the most pivotal trip that you've gone on, looking back at, like, your trips where you created your own adventure? Because I like to believe that when we travel, we always get, like, this big life lesson from it. I Yeah, I agree. I think... You know, it actually wasn't a big adventure. It was actually pretty recently. So Heather and I run some of the yin yoga teacher trainings in the city, and we usually end up creating lots of content when we go away. So it was on a semester break from Heather's program, and we just took a quick uh, few days out to Invermere, which is a place that we really resonate with. We've been to Fairmont a lot of times, and my family has a timeshare there. And we had been asked if we would develop a level two course and we're like, yeah, sure. And we, you know, kind of had a few registrants. And I think the most pivotal thing for us was we just went and we reconnected after Heather's school and we like built this, you know, an entire, an entire course. And I think that that was really pivotal for us because it wasn't something that we think we were, thought we were actually capable of doing. That so, is pretty cool. Yeah. So what kind of created the transition from like, one career to the next because you did the you were a phys ed teacher yeah. for four years and then yeah what, what what was the late switch change what was the moment that made you think time for change mm-hmm well after like after my teaching career and in my in my degrees I also took my personal training certification so I always felt like I kind of had a little bit of a fallback because when I was teaching I still ran a little personal training business and then I kind of bridged the um, you know, what I learned from coaching and teaching to training to massage and yoga. So all of those kind of paired really well together. But I still remember I had one extraordinarily pivotal moment when I was teaching. It was in the fourth year of my teaching. And I found this one week progressed to I kept showing up at work as O Canada was playing, snuck in the back door 
And then I tried to leave even before the buses were. And I was like, wow, this is no way for a 28-year-old to live. I'm like, I'm... So essentially, like, I wasn't happy. So I didn't even really give it a ton of thought. I just, I simply wasn't happy. And I'm like, this is no way, this is no way for me to live. So I kind of did whatever I needed to do to change that. That's cool. Like, that that makes sense. I can I can relate with that. Like, I think at one point, I kind of felt like, okay... I'm, I'm kind of getting old and I need to make a change that makes me happier about waking up and going to work. And sometimes it's just fulfilling our purpose, you know, like absolutely feeling like we are making the most, the maximal impact versus just doing something really well sort of thing. Absolutely. So what were your next steps? Like you knew that you had to make a change. You sort of had your backup stuff. What, what, would, what did you do next? What did I, like, when I, I just essentially, one day, when I was supposed to go into my fifth year, I started packing up my office, and the principal came in to the gym, and he's like, yeah, like, we missed you at orientation yesterday. I said, yeah, I'm handing in my resignation, and he didn't really know what to say. He went back to his office. He literally said nothing, and I just walked into his office, and I said, like, here's my resignation. Like, I wish everyone well, and I just walked away. I sold my house when I was living in, in Redwater. I sold my house. I bought a house in Shore Park, and I moved home. Holy crap. Yep. <laughs> so then what? Then um, I ended up doing some personal training. I pretty much had to transition pretty quickly. And in the meantime, I mean, in hindsight, wasn't the smartest, but, you know, I had taught for four years, so I did have a little bit of a pension. So I ended up cashing out my pension so I could, so I could live, essentially. Um, delved into the personal training industry, quickly realized, and as you would know, it's very, very taxing. It's really great when you can see 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 people in a day, but it's not generally, at least it wasn't for me, it wasn't sustainable. So I decided to diversify with massage therapy. I thought it would be a nice pairing and, and it was for a lot of years. Totally. Yeah. So what was the toughest moment in that transition? Aside from like the sustainability of the industry, like you just made this big jump. <clears throat> what was the thing that was most scary? Uh, I think at the time, the scariest thing was telling my parents that I, I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. Because, you know, for them, the paradigm was that, you know, ever since I was 15, I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be in the school system and coach and mentor kids. You know, and then I quickly realized that that wasn't the environment for me to do that. So, you know, my parents thought since I was 15, like I was going to be a teacher until I was in my 50s. And here I am only 28. And I said, Hi, I'm not going to teach anymore, and I put my house up for sale. So I think that was that was the scariest part was just telling them and wondering how they were going to feel, even though I wasn't happy. But then, what did you learn about your parents after you told them? Well, your parents want the same thing as you do. They just want you to be happy. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think that that was because I still I still had them and still do have them on such a high pedestal. Like I think lots of kids you know, even though like I'm almost 40, I'm not exactly a kid. Like no one still really wants to disappoint their parents. And so that's, that's how I felt at the time. Yeah. So in hindsight, it's 2020. And I'm like, that's actually pretty silly because they were, they were pretty understanding. And my dad was also excited because I was going to move into the area of being an entrepreneur and being a, you know, a business owner. And that's what my dad's been since he was 19. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes we get our head wrapped around like what we think other people will think and we're supposed to just think about what will make us the happiest because the people who are 
who are most invested <laughs> in us are going to be the most happiest when we are happy. Exactly. Um, so what was your dad's business like? My dad runs a court reporting business. So he's essentially the, the person in the room, in a courtroom or in a boardroom, who is deciphering what everybody is saying. Yeah. So when he was... When he was 19, he was looking for something that had 100% employability, and that was court reporting. So that's what he did. That's awesome. And he's very, very good. He actually had a job offer with the government in the United States. So when I was younger, we moved to Hawaii for a couple of years, and my dad worked there. And then we were in BC for a couple of years in both Langley and White Rock. But essentially, all of our family's here in Sherwood Park in Edmonton. So we're only gone for about three or four years, and then I've been back here since grade four. Nice. Yeah. What about your mom? What does she do? My mom's an executive assistant, and right now she's at the Cross Cancer Society. It's kind of her dream job. She just transitioned there the, uh, in the last couple of weeks, so she's very, very thrilled to be, you know, in the later stages of her career, but where she'll probably end it in, you know, the place that she always wanted to work. Yeah. Yeah. If you could describe three positive qualities that you would want to have of your own that come from your parents, what would those three qualities be? So three for your mom, three for your dad. Like qualities that they pass down? Three qualities that you just want to own throughout your life that you want to like maintain for years and years and years that you got from them. Oh, three each. Uh, my mom is very, very kind. So yeah. I would say say kindness. She also taught myself and my younger brother compassion compassion for others which isn't necessarily you know compassion empathy aren't really putting yourself in someone else's shoes because that's really impossible it's almost just like seeing seeing things from a different perspective or seeing things from someone else's perspective so my mom my mom definitely distilled that and it was that third thing that i described before which was just like do things that make you happy like my mom has had a, a number of jobs because like she just wants to be happy Work is not the most important thing. Happiness is. So for my dad, I don't know. My dad's just like a, his, a whole nother character. I would say determination is one thing. He was always determined to, you know, essentially build, build a great family and have a great home and take care of us. So um, he was also very present. Like I can't even think of a sporting event that they weren't at that even drove to all the small towns when I was teaching in a small town just to watch me coach. So that's another one. And I think probably probably loyalty. Like be loyal to the people who are around you. So I would say that would be the third. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I like to think that like our, our parents or our mentors, people that we look up to or we really respect are creating a legacy. And we continue that legacy. And there's certain things that stay the same and certain things that we adapt and mm -hmm. add on. But it's just neat to really recognize like this this path of like values or like are are things that we keep constant in our life because you can you can trace that back you can find patterns you can find reasons that people are the way they are because of the the things that they've chosen to prioritize mm -hmm. and i always like chatting with guests about that because sometimes people don't realize that because they spend time with these certain people in their lives that's what makes them happy. That's what makes them fulfilled. That's, it makes such a difference. Like taking time to be close with siblings or close with friends or close with aunts and uncles, like whoever it is, because everybody's dynamics are different, yep. but everybody has that structure. It's like, we, we can't go through life just on our own. Exactly. 
Um, if you were to plan out your week, what are three things that have to be in it? Whether it be like something you do for yourself, something you do with somebody else. What What are those three things that no matter what, like you have to do them? Three things that I have to do. Well, I ha- I have a very strong desire for balance. So if we put self care in there, I mean it would probably be almost number one, two, and three because. You know, I do like to either get to the gym or work out in our basement or get to a yoga class, whether it's at Moto Sherwood Park or it's Off-White Ave at Sapa. Uh, So I would say that kind of activity is super important to me, but also on the softer side, like here at Park Integrative Health, we've got, you know, massage and acupuncture, Reiki, counseling and nutrition. And so while I don't get my counseling here, like mental health is super important. So the things that we don't have here, I essentially outsource outsource for. So I do see a massage therapist here. I've actually seen all of them. I see uh, Heather, who's my partner for acupuncture. And then um, I've got a therapist in the city and I also outsource for things like chiropractic. So I either see my good friend that I went to high school with, Dr. Baxter, who's just down the street, or another chiropractor in the south side, Dr. Kevin Watson. So anything that we don't have here, I try and I try and get out into the into the city for some self-care. So I would say that's super important. Some one-on-one time with Heather that is not business-related because it can. It's really, really easy for us to live together, run a yoga business together, run Park Integrative Health together, and then only talk about work. Mm-hmm. So I would say the the one-on-one time is super important, and another non-negotiable is some concerted time with with Nixon because now that she's twelve, I don't like saying it or hearing it, but she is a she is a senior dog. So I would say. That's, that's something else that I must get in with the week. And if I added a fourth, it would be to, you know, connect with my parents, whether I stop by or I phone or what have you. That's awesome. How often do you think you connect with your parents, like, in a week? Well, thankfully, there's text messaging, right? So I probably text them every day. I'm not a big sit down and talk on the phone. So when I was working on the south side, it was nice to call them on the way home or on the way to work for a nice 20 minute conversation but we're only about seven minutes away now yeah so we don't talk on the phone as much but there's usually some kind of daily contact and we've got a good family thread because i don't see my brother as often as i'd like to and my sister-in-law and my two nieces but they post everything that the girls are up to on facebook so i mean i think as much as i'm not really you know i'm not overly technologically savvy and if I could not have a cell phone, I wouldn't. But I think that, as everyone knows, it really helps you to stay connected. So even though I don't get to see Lily and Poppy as often as I would like to, I still get to be a part of their lives. So Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, what's your favorite thing about being an uncle? Uh, the stage where they like me. Because <laughs> there's stages where they where they don't. But I'm, I'm definitely in an upswing where like I'm, I'm super important and sometimes... Uh, if my parents are babysitting or they're in the they're in town because they live on the south side, they'll bring the girls by, and they seem to right now they're excited to see me. So I'd say that's that's a good thing. How old are they? Uh, Lily's five, and Poppy is almost three. Nice. Yeah. You got till they're about like eight or nine, and then they start thinking that maybe other people are cooler. Hey. Like well, that, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that they'll just think that I just keep getting cooler, and then they they just won't like their parents as much. I'm sure that's the phase that we'll go through, and we'll just be the cool aunt and uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I have a couple nieces, and they're getting older and older, and I'm like, okay, I gotta get more tattoos or just get more like tough looking or something because I have to maintain <laughs> the cool uncle. Yeah. 
Facade. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a facade for everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. none of us are really that cool. No, we just think we are. Yeah. But as long as we think we are, that's, exactly. that's the important thing. Yeah. So, you had your personal trainer certification. You got into massage therapy. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into yoga? Um, I got it. Well, I actually got into yoga when I was closer to 18. My mom took me to a class that was just... When yoga was very less popular here especially in Edmonton and Sherwood Park and it was it seemed to be just a room full of women their angry husbands and me and so it didn't really seem like a safe place at the time so I sort of abandoned it and got really heavily you know I played some college volleyball and then I got into running marathons and half marathons and when you know my body figured out like um, this isn't really a good thing for me uh, one of my good girlfriends Corinne was like you you need to come to yoga with me and I went, and at the time when Bikram was just about all that there was, like that's kind of where I got my start because I'd always been a little bit more on 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 a spiritual side, and I hadn't really made that connection to to what yoga could bring to my life. So I ended up starting to practice, and then I ended up uh, at a studio that at the time I really resonated with, and I delved into taking my first teacher training. That's awesome. What was going through your mind when you went into that first teacher training? Um, well, the first thing was we were told to, I didn't have a meditation practice at the time and they told us to bring something comfortable to sit on and I didn't really know. So I went and got like this big, massive cushion that probably took up two or three spaces because like I had no idea to like set it down and like realize that, you know, most of the other people in the room are just going to like meditate on a couple of blocks or so I think like that was what was going through mine was at the time was like, I'm really out of place. Yeah. So Yeah. And what was the, what were three of the most positive outcomes of doing that first teacher training? Three. One of them was that it was a, it was a really great creative outlet for me to sequence classes and to look at themes and find quotes and really connect with the room. So it brought out something creative for me. Um, it was a new form of, of discipline to kind of, for a wa short while, I would say it was very in balance, like it was only do yoga. There wasn't a whole lot of gym component, so it taught me that there could be a different side to activity. And three. I think ultimately, like, I really wanted to get back into a mentorship and teaching role, so it allowed me to create workshops to eventually take enough training where I could create my own training to you know take all of my different backgrounds and all of Heather's different backgrounds and be able to share those things with the community. So how much hours of training like just to learn new stuff would you say you've done? Well in the yoga area I probably I have over 1400 hours of different trainings whether it's yin or it's vinyasa or when I took my moksha moto training so I would say, yeah, I think I think I have written down it's over 1,400. I haven't been to anything concerted in the last little while, but it's definitely on the agenda to study under a couple of my teachers as soon as I can. Nice, yeah. nice. Uh, so what, out of all the things that you have gotten continuing education for, what would you say you've put the most time towards? Would it be like yoga? Would it be? Would it be like your teaching certification? What, what well, I would say just by the proxy of how much time it actually took, like it would have been 
it would be teaching as a as a whole. So yeah. you know, going through the um, you know, the university and college system for, for six years and then bridging it into what we're doing now, I would say that's been the most time, but I don't think any of it really prepares you to you know, school doesn't exactly prepare you for your job. Just like no. all those life experiences didn't really like it prepared me in a sense to have what we have now here at park but i would say by no means am i an expert and i think we've got something to like we learn something new like actually almost every day yeah yeah totally and i think it's it's neat because attitude changes so much of of outcome kind of thing mm-hmm. like having that well especially the idea that like everybody we meet we can learn something from but also the idea of like even the most like developed experts they have not reached their their maximum mm-hmm. growth there's always something new to learn so what's what's on your radar for your next thing you want to learn what's your next like let's say a short term one year goal for stuff you want in your brain uh i would say it would be a little bit more on solidifying what what a brand is like we work very closely with Karina at Henrik Branding Co and you know I would say I'm trying to learn the most that I can about culture and brand because that's exactly what we're trying to build here is is a really wonderful culture where people where people can come in whether they're a patient or a client or they work here where they can be authentic and be themselves and they can you know, move out of this idea of being perfect and be human. That's really what we're trying to foster here. So I really want to learn more about how to make that sustainable and long-term because often, you know, it's made, the culture building has made the business portion a little bit slower and we're okay with that. So I want to know more about how to make it long-term and sustainable, which comes with a lot of back-end work. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. So what what was really the fire that sparked you to like want to have something like this? Because it's quite a big thing to jump into. Uh, it was a couple of things, actually. One was when I got into contracted work, like training and massage and yoga, I thought like, wow, this is a really great way to get more time back in my life because like, now I'm in control of now I'm in control of my time. And as you might know, after after a few years, you're like, I'm actually not in control of my time because every minute I'm not working is potential money loss. Like that kind of became the mindset of like never wanting to take a vacation because like I'm going to go away. I'm going to lose this much money. It's going to take me this long to recover. So I found that I didn't actually have a whole lot of control in that sense. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was always something to do. And that was another thing that I learned from my dad. He's like, make sure that you enjoy the slow times because when it gets too busy, he's like, you're going to wish it was slower. So sometimes I get to remind him of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. Um, so ultimately I wanted to find something that I could gain a little bit of the time back for something for more of a balanced lifestyle, even though it is very full. I don't like to really use the word busy because everyone's busy in their own right. There's this glorification of busy, but I would say the days the days are full, but they're very rewarding because we're dealing with people. Yeah. Nice. Makes sense. So in, in your first year of growth and you talk about like wanting to build on your brand and the culture mm-hmm. and the identity, 
what were the three toughest lessons that kind of motivate you to really want to build into that brand? Because everybody has like those growing pains or those mm-hmm. just the things that's like, oh shit, I wish somebody would have told me about that. Um, you know, I actually think we, we got a lot of, a lot of really great advice. I actually don't think there's something that I wish someone had have told me. It's just always surprising when you, when you actually experience, experience it. People would say, when you have to fire your first person, like, it's going to be awful. It's going to be terrible. And I'm like, oh, I probably won't be that bad. Or, no, I'm pretty sure we picked a whole bunch of great people and, like, I won't have to do that for a long time. But, like, I had to fire my first person six weeks in. And so, you know, people prepared us really well. They prepared us for what could be the rigors of, um, of staffing because people are human. Here we don't offer people sick days. We offer them wellness days. We don't want them to have to feel like they have to lie about why they're not here, that they have to hide if it's something that is mental health related. We just call them wellness days. And so staffing can become a really, you know, very taxing at times when people are human. So that was something that we were told, but it's something different to experience. And also that building your culture will be the toughest thing because often it's viewed as micromanaging or this top-down sort of leadership when really it's about solidifying the the vision and what we tried to do when we built this and it's wonderful that we got to do it where i grew up which is here in sherwood park that's awesome aside from your parents Mm -hmm. who are three of the most like influential mentors in your life influential mentors well, Bruce Brown, who's a man that coaches football, was definitely one of my coaching mentors. So he stands out for for sure as um, as someone that I learned a great deal from as far as leadership and coaching goes. So he was for sure one of those. Uh, I probably do like learn the most from from my partner Heather. She's she's brilliant, and I've probably learned in the time that we've that we've been together like an awful lot about just about life so I would say she's she's definitely a mentor of mine and um, Joe Barnett who's my who's my direct and yoga teacher I would say has had a, a very large impact on the way uh, the way I view the world because he's you know he's always telling me like you know you don't have to do fancy workshops you don't have to do fancy trainings you don't have to make them trendy he always said like you know walk the true path just keep walking the path of sustainability and teach that these aren't you know these aren't only yin principles they're life principles he's like make your training impactful so it's something that people something that people can actually apply so i would say those would be the three besides my parents nice yeah and on the topic of yin yoga what Mm -hmm. is what is your favorite thing about yin yoga my favorite thing about yin yoga practicing or teaching just in general like blanket statement answer it however you like blanket statement I like that there is an infinite amount to learn and there are an infinite amount of lenses to look through when you practice or teach so what tell me the origin story like I want to know as much history as you know of yin yoga because I am just like enchanted by yin yoga but by the amount of like mobility that I can get (laughs) and just the guidance it's just such it's it's wonderful 
So tell me the legacy of Yin Yoga. Well, I don't know if I, I'm by no means an expert. I can tell you that my direct teacher is Joe Barnett. He's in Tucson in Arizona. So when we were in Arizona last year, we got to spend some time with him. He studies under Paul Grilly and his wife, and they're kind of known as the, the founders of Yin Yoga, essentially westernizing it. So they run a training out of uh, California that we're very interested in going to. And Paul Grilly studied under someone named Dr. Motoyama, who taught him a lot about the energetics of yin yoga. He has since passed away. It was a really big loss to the community. And so I would say, you know, I'm sure yin was created way before then, but that's the lineage that I study under. So that would yeah. be about, about the extent of my knowledge of, of the legacy. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. It's just, it's neat to sort of hear the perspective and the background and all that stuff. Cause like, the average person that goes to yoga class, like half the time I signed up for a yoga class, I didn't even look at what kind of yoga it was. Right. Like I've gone to a hot yoga class in sweatpants and like a long sleeve shirt. And it was the biggest mistake I ever made. Because <laughs> like, they're like, all right, and now we will set up for Shavasana. And I like put my back on the yoga mat and it made a big farting noise. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed and just dripping sweat. So now I read the description. Smart. But, like, delving more and more into it, like, I completely respect that there are so many different ways to find yoga. And then within that, there are so many different instructors. Absolutely. And it's just, it's neat. It's not too dissimilar to any other way that people find their fitness. Because, like, even spin class, like, you could go to two different spin classes and it would be a completely different experience whether that be in the same studio, different studios, you could go to two different trainers, completely different experience. 100%. And it's neat. And I think it all comes down to, a lot of it comes down to what kind of a person that instructor or trainer or whoever it is. So when you're looking for people in your life that you're going to allocate time to, what are some like characteristics or personality traits that you look for what what's the first thing you notice when you meet somebody new first thing I notice when I meet somebody new uh, generally their handshake first and foremost I wouldn't say that I ever make a, a judgment on it but it's probably it's probably the first thing that I notice second thing it's funny like I used to, when I was in all my other careers like you know I was all about like Lululemon and sneakers and what that will look like and you know now that we run a business I, you know, I'm way on the other side of that. So I would say, like, I end up noticing people's shoes, surprisingly. And I never thought of that I would say that in a million years because, like, I wore strictly sandals even in the winter probably up until, like, four or five years ago. So, yeah. And then, So what happens if somebody walks into Park Integrative wearing sandals today? Um, what goes through your mind? What goes through my mind, like... Well, you know, I don't actually make the judgment on the shoes. I just happen to notice. I would think, like, it's way too cold. It's minus 25 today. Yeah. So, and then if they're walking in the building, I think if those are soiled, you need to take them off. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What else What else do you kind of, like, assess or notice when you're when you're meeting somebody new? Um, eye contact. Yeah. I would say is, is a big thing. And generally... You know, I'll probably notice the, the way that they carry themselves, which is an intangible. So I probably couldn't explain it. It's almost like the way that they feel. You know, yeah. I'm kind of moving into a different phase in my life where I'm trying to focus more on 
the subtle body and like how things feel and listen more to that. So I would say I notice how they feel, like how do they feel, which I don't then say like oh, a person feels angry or that person is something. It's just I notice how they feel and that helps me to create the relationship of compassion. That's cool. That's cool. Like it's, it's neat. And I've talked to a few people about like handshake, like that's, that's a big one. And sometimes I'll think, oh, I, you know, give a person a handshake, don't think twice. But it's like, that is your first chance to say, like, this is how I present myself and this is how I, I bring myself to you kind of thing. Yeah. So you can't really half-ass it. So every time when I'm like, oh, man, I didn't really give it my all on that handshake. <laughs> I really screwed that up. I'm going to have to, like, how... How much effort do you think it takes to redeem yourself after a shitty handshake? Because, like, I honestly think it probably takes, like, five more encounters after a bad handshake to, like, earn that that back. Probably, because I can think of a few times when, like, someone went to squeeze my hand before I got my hand all the way in, and, like, now all of a sudden I'm giving them, like, this little British <laughs> yeah. handshake. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think, that, well, I'm going to have to debrief this with my therapist now, because, like, that didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> so... Talking about things that don't quite go as planned in all your travels, because I imagine you've traveled a fair bit. Like, how many trips would you say you've gone on? Mm, I wouldn't say I'm an extensive traveler. I think I was so focused on, I was so focused on getting a teaching job because that's what I wanted to do. That when the group of friends that I was friends with in university, when we all graduated. There was, you know, a group of six of us and four of them went traveling to Australia for either one, two or three years and two of us got jobs. So I would say like I didn't really do a ton. I haven't done a ton of traveling. We did run um, a yoga retreat in Greece with a good friend of ours, uh, Mel Perret, a few years ago. So we went to Italy and Greece. And so I would say that that's the most extensive trip. But with the business and with our dog, we don't we don't travel overly far or overly often that's fair yeah but organizing an event outside of your own country is no small feat it takes a lot of it takes a lot of like yeah six to month, six to nine months planning i would say what if somebody else was going to do that because i have a few friends that are organizing their own retreats what some advice you'd give them in like the preparation process like things that they don't want to forget like a month in advance of the event that's a great question. You know, we do some consulting too because we, yeah, we've got some people like in our circle who are trying to run retreats or workshops. So we do some consulting with them because we have done it before. So number one, based on personal experience, like make sure your passport is not going to expire while you're traveling. That's a good one. That's so good one. that's probably, I experienced that. Uh, I would say that is a big one to plan, to seed plant six to nine months in advance to get someone awesome in the city to do your graphics because posters I feel and visuals do do matter and continually follow up with people who have shown interest because people want that help it's the same way that I built my massage practice before I was consistent check-ins about them as people not hey you said you were going to sign up for this retreat it was more like you know hey this is a check-in or this is where we're at and I find that the more relationship building you can do, the, the more successful it'll be. Awesome. And how about like logistics once you get to the new location? Cause it's like, you're not familiar with the setting, like running something in Sherwood Park where you, you know Sherwood Park. Oh yeah. It's way different <laughs> yeah. than like going to a country that you may have never been to before. 
I would say the I would say the number one thing is to make sure that you've solidified travel from the airport to your destination because you can generally figure out the rest. You know, there's there's Wi-Fi everywhere now. You can figure out everything else, but make make sure you know how you're going to get from point A to point B because that's going to be the most stressful for most people. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like just get their butt into the seat that it needs to be in and to the location where they need to be. And then if, like, snacks are late, snacks are late, no big deal. And, you know, people want to know, like, am I going to have to, you know, row my own canoe from this spot (laughs) to the island where their retreat is? Because, like, I didn't know that. You know, people want as much detail as possible, but you certainly can't plan for everything. Totally. Yeah. So in all of your ventures and all of your certifications and all of the changes in life, selling and buying places and moving, what is the toughest obstacle that you've ever come across? The toughest obstacle? Like a single obstacle? Yeah, or even just like a couple or... Um, I would say... Hmm... I would say a very tough obstacle over time would be, I wouldn't say losing friendships and business relationships, but the the fallout of, you know, going through your life and realizing that like people that you thought were going to be lifelong friends aren't anymore. You know, I went from checking in with people, you know, I used to call, you know, hundreds of my friends on Christmas Eve and then they turned into text messages and then I realized like you know I was kind of the only one doing that so you know at, at one point like I just I just kind of had to stop so I think that's been one of the hardest lessons and obstacles it has been being okay that so you know it's a whole people are in your life for a reason a season or a lifetime and a lot of those people were simply part of a different lifetime that makes yeah. sense what kind of advice would you give to somebody else kind of going through those things? Like, they, they're progressing through their life and they're finding that their friend circle has shrunk or they're finding that when they went after a passion, everybody fell off of their wagon kind of thing. Like, what, what reaffirming, reassuring sentiment would you leave them with? I think the reassuring sen- sentiment that I'm... That I, gen- that I hold very true to myself is that your best life is on the other side of blank. It's on the other side of this obstacle. Your best life is on the other side of, you know, this dissolution of this relationship or this business partnership or, or what have you. So I would say that that would be my best, my advice. Like your best life is on the other side of this, this shit storm that you're in. Yeah. So kind of like cutting out the these end goals that we sort of envision just focusing on what would make us the happiest and like enjoying whatever comes with it sort of thing yeah and also finding ways to be okay with it because it's not as easy as oh just let it go or oh it's okay or you know the adage of everything happens for a reason you know i think it takes some evaluation as to you know why things have turned out the way that they have so that you can take some accountability and either be okay with it or say like actually like I don't want to lose these friendships I don't want to lose what is over here and then you decide where you get to put your time and energy mm-hmm. that makes sense would you say that out of the people that get to spend the most time with you are they all from like your your massage and your yoga and all that ventures or is it like people that you grew up with or a, a mix of the two 
the people in my life, I would say I'm, I'm actually very, very introverted. My careers and, uh, and everything that we're doing now is very extroverted, but I've always said like, I want to live in that building in Dubai where everything is inside. I never want to have to leave my house. And if I didn't have to, I wouldn't. So, um, so yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So like, how do you socialize? Do you socialize? What does that look like for you? Not like, I'm not trying to get you to be like anybody else. I just want to see what does socialization look like for you? Well, I can tell you what socialization does not look like, and it is not small talk. Yeah. I am not good at it, nor do I really want to engage in small talk. I need to have meaningful conversations, which has led me to potentially be viewed as not approachable or cold or an asshole or any of those things, which like I think are all judgments based on not knowing someone. Yeah. But I mean, I definitely... I'm just very, I'm very uncomfortable with small talk because there's no substance to it. Yeah. So I really need, I really need connection when it comes to having conversations much, much like this. Like I'd rather talk about something that is happening in someone's life than, you know, how, how, how's the weather, you know, like, I know I like that though, because that's something that I've learned because this is episode 33 now in episode one. It was with somebody that I knew quite well. Like, almost all my guests I've known pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I've learned to be a better listener, which has brought more value in all of my interactions. And I find there's probably a ton of people who see the same thing in me, like, in myself being kind of introverted. Like, mm-hmm. I would have to say when a person first meets me, I'm going to be pretty quiet, depending on, on the setting of the situation. Um, but, yeah, totally. Like, it's just finding something from that conversation and not just having the conversation for the sake of having the conversation. Absolutely. Which is like, I, I enjoy that about my podcast because I kind of just, I, I have certain values that I kind of want to like touch on, but I always accept that every single conversation is going to be different. Absolutely. Because depending on what the person, the person's life is framed around or what they say is going to completely orient which direction that I go with with the conversation Mm -hmm. there's there's been times when I've like written out my questions and stuff but I always know like some of these questions I might not even like ask 100% yeah because they're going to answer it a certain way and then I'm going to have new questions yeah because I heard what they said yeah but it's so neat uh like we we always learn something in in what we hear from others and it might be in how they perceive what we've said and it kind of mixes up what we were telling ourselves and gives it back to us in a way that helps us see more value in things mm-hmm. that we do or it might be just some very very much needed perspective absolutely you know we we like the work of Brene Brown a lot and in her book Dare to Lead she's got a quote in there that says listen with as much passion as you would hope to be heard so that's what we try to do here when we are engaging with, with any of our team members. We listen with, you know, as much attention as we possibly can because, like, that's, that's what we would hope for, too. People have this huge desire to feel safe and to be heard. And while only a small number of people might get to be privy to your story, like, that's what we try to endeavor to do. 
I like that. And on the topic of like leadership and stuff, what are five qualities that you would say makes a good leader? Five. Oh man. It's funny. People are going to be like, how does he come up with these numbers? Like it's like three, <laughs> five, two. I just, I guess I just, you five know. qualities of a leader. Yeah. Well, clear is kind. Clear feedback is actually very, very kind. Listen with as much passion as you'd like to be heard. Lead by example. So if our values are integrity, empathy, team-oriented, um, oh my God, now I'm drawing a blank. Integrity, empathy, team-oriented. If our values are our values, every decision that we make should be, should be guided by that. So um, I think that you need to be able to, like I said, have have the tough conversations and be able to take accountability if uh, if a bad decision is made because people are big into accountability and I think the most important probably is still being authentic letting people know that we're still human and this as much as we as much as you know in a business there still is some sort of hierarchy that you know, we are, we're, people are people, 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 and we are doing, we're doing work as well. Totally. That's yeah. awesome. A lot of people who are personal growth oriented, mm-hmm. the best way to find growth in yourself is to sort of address your weakness and really focus on it. Because if you make your weakness your strength, just imagine how much better all your other qualities mm-hmm. are. So if you were going to give yourself a self-assessment and be like, okay, what, what am I the worst at that I want to improve at the most? What would it be? The worst at that I want to improve at? Well, I'm going to ruminate on it in the back of my mind, but my first piece of big self-development was that when I went to my first yoga training, like I was a disaster as far as like being emotional. Like I couldn't listen to someone else's story without crying or taking it as my own like it was like deeply personal and then I sat down when I was then going to lead a teacher training I had to like sit down with my two teachers who actually didn't live there anymore they just happened to be back in town and I said like I, I need you to help me like to, to not you know to be able to have conversations and listen to people and not and not take it on because I'm like I can't lead a teacher training if every time someone tells me something sad I start crying I said that that's not you know standing and hold like there's no boundary there so they were the first ones to teach me about boundaries and with a lot of self-study and therapy and education from from heather it was more like a boundary is not about what you're trying to keep out it's about what you will let in what is good for you in that moment and lots of times people view boundaries as negative but boundaries are neutral like, this is what's good for me. This is nothing personal. It's no different than the difference between not liking someone's behavior and not liking them as a person. Yeah. So I would say like boundary setting is still something I am consistently, consistently working on. I wouldn't, I would say I'm not bad at it, but it is so in flux of realizing what's good for you and what's not. Or doing it anyway and finding ways to balance and self-regulate after. Because oftentimes, like, I'll come out of something and be like, holy shit, like, I'm really angry. And instead of saying, why am I angry? 
I like to pay it, like I like to pay attention because there's an answer if you're saying like why and that's why I gravitate so much with yin yoga because like there's always there's actually a reason if you evaluate it and if you give yourself that gift of paying attention so I wouldn't say that I'm bad at boundaries but I would say it's the thing that I consistently work on as far as self-development and self and you know growth because that would also lend into socialization like what what events will be good for me what events won't be and what events do I need someone like Karina or Heather to say like you need to go to it anyway yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no that's awesome and it's it's something that everybody I think actively works on and the difference between like knowing that they work on it and not is just them having the courage to admit it Mm -hmm. because time is is of value and whether that's monetary or just like looking at it as life has like an end an end point we don't know when it is but we just know that it's not we're not going to have every day like it's just Mm non-renewable basically um that whole setting those boundaries is so important. Absolutely. That's why it's so great to have like quality handshakes mm-hmm. and have those times with parents and family and friends and assess yourself and figure out if we are wanting to be in our own space and if that is of most value or if we need that time with, with friends to be social and what is the, the most meaningful. So I like that one because if we like address that these are the things that we need to chip away at, Mm -hmm. then we're going to be happier because we've identified these things that are the most meaningful to us. Whereas if we're like, Oh, you know, like the thing that I really need to work on is, uh, I just need a six pack that that's what I need. And it's, that's not going to impact us as greatly as something as boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to know the story of how you and Heather met. I would say we very, very fortunately in this life met, met in the health and wellness industry. So it's very, very nice that we have uh, a lot of similarities and that we actually like each other enough to, to do most of our activities together. Um, but I would say like we were probably together like long long before this life that's how it feels yeah yeah that's neat i think that's that's how a lot of people end up feeling with their their partner or a significant other like there's some kind of a connection or an energy like a shared energy and it just it jives and each person is made better from the other person's presence which is important and it's just neat to discuss because like people people need support whether in whatever capacity that that mm-hmm. is. We've always um, held in our relationship that the relationship is 100%, 100%. It's not 50-50. It's not you complete me. It's not two halves of a whole. Like, we've always viewed it as we're two whole people. We're two individual people. And we have a lot to learn from one another. But we, you know, even if our 100% looks different on a given day, like, the relationship is still, like, I'm going to give my 100% and you're going to give your 100%. That's a good one. Yeah. And sometimes people need to hear that, like, chewed up, regurgitated back out to them because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you know, like, uh, they aren't holding up their end of the bargain. It's like, well, you're both, you're both supposed to be whole and acting, like, parallel to each other yeah. as your best selves. Yes. So we're going to segue to the last and final question, mm-hmm. which I ask all my guests. Yep. And you know what it is. 
you could give one piece of advice to somebody on how to live their most authentic life to the fullest, what would that piece of advice be? I would say that it is to do some self-reflection on who you who you truly are, like what your essence is, what your your values are, and go out and like unabashedly and with conviction and like go out and and be that person because I think everyone has a gift, like a true gift to give to the world and they'll be able to do that if they if they've done enough work where they can stand in the authenticism of themselves and own it i like it like figure yourself out and then go from there kind of thing yeah this has been a good chat it has been thanks thanks. for having me on the show it's super humbling to be asked so thank you you bet yeah we'll see you around for sure absolutely